0: Hey Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit MattressWarehouseUtah.com to find the location nearest you. That's MattressWarehouseUtah.com. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Homelessness. And specifically, what can Salt Lake City do about it? It is a freezing cold winter. And it's the start of a mayoral election year. So let's get our candidates on the record about one of our most urgent issues. Today, we bring you the first of three interviews with candidates Michael Valentine and Rocky Anderson and current Salt Lake City Mayor, Aaron Mendenhall. These are not candidate debates. I sat down with each and asked questions specific to their record and their policy ideas around homelessness. As always, we edit our conversations for length and clarity. First up, my conversation with mayoral candidate Michael Valentine. It's Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. <laughs> Michael Valentine, you have announced your intention to run for mayor of Salt Lake. And you've been homeless before in this city, as you've discussed. How has that experience influenced your approach to homelessness policy?
1: I was born in Salt Lake, grew up in Logan, went to Utah State up there. Um, I moved back in in the summer of 2012. Um, I just didn't have any money to uh, get an apartment and housing was a lot better back then, but um, I just lived in a tent in the woods. (laughs) So I uh, hit a tent up Immigration Canyon and I was homeless for about three months. It impacts you a lot. You know, Um, that experience is uh, one that sticks with you for your entire life. You know, I just remember being exhausted all the time and like going to a park and just passing out, you know, and trying to find somewhere to sleep, trying to find somewhere to shower. It's just a lot of work, you know, and your whole mindset is like, a 24 hour cycle of like, what am I gonna to do to eat? What am I gonna to do to sleep this day? And, you know, and I just really had to try to to pull myself up and um, get money to get a, a apartment and a down payment. And not everyone can do that. So,
0: well, specific to homelessness policy, because you are running for mayor, how has this experience influenced how you think about this issue?
1: Yeah, I think this is a very important conversation because we need to change the way how we think about homelessness in general. A lot of the people that are involved with homelessness, you know, even if they have good intentions, They've never been homeless. It's a totally different thing uh, if you have that ex- personal experience. And um I think a lot of the people that are homeless are unsheltered community right now. They know exactly what they need. They know um how to solve these issues and they're being ignored and not being listened to. So I think it's massive to have someone run for office who has been homeless. You know, I think it's the most mm-hmm. important thing to listen to the the voices of of the people that are we're trying to help.
0: Well, you've got a list of goals around homelessness on your Facebook page, on your campaign page. And The number one goal that I saw there was declaring homelessness a citywide emergency. What would that accomplish?
1: Um, I think, again, it just changes the nature of how we talk about this issue. I think it is an emergency, and I think it needs to have an emergency response. This issue just keeps going on and on and on. The road home was destroyed in 2019, and uh, we've been, you know, not had enough beds since then. I think declaring an emergency situation shows that we're serious about doing something about it right now. Not like in two years, not in three years, but like... In the next six months, in the next nine months, in the next three months, you know, next to the Great Salt Lake, homelessness is probably the the biggest issue Salt Lake City faces. And it really ties to all these other issues. It's like a spider web. These issues aren't alone. You know, housing affects business, affects tourism, affects education, affects, um, you know healthcare, really the the base stability we need to then grow and worry about these other issues.
0: When we declare a state of emergency, and I feel like this is something we all became really familiar with during the pandemic. Yeah, and the windstorm. (laughs) Yeah, and the windstorm and the earthquake, we think a lot about there's sort of like the theoretical state of emergency, but then there's also the really practical state of emergency and what that means from a technical perspective. So from a technical perspective, like what would declaring a state of emergency accomplish from a policy standpoint?
1: Yeah, I think again, it allows um, things to move quicker and um, allows us to like bring in more uh, seriousness to the issue. You know, we saw with the earthquake, with these other things, sometimes these issues are massive and they need an emergency response. And to me, it really is just like, again, the importantness of like making this the number one issue where we're like, we're not kicking the can down the road. An emergency is a temporary thing, right? So like it sets us up so we can immediately attack this and, and solve this issue. You know, I'm running to cure homelessness, which sounds like, you know, insane, but it really is not that crazy when we stop and think about like, why do we put up with homelessness? Why is this something we just kick down the can and we're, we're, um, just perpetually used to dealing with and not actually ending. And there's a lot of amazing stuff going around the world. Houston was able to like uh, put people, 25,000 people directly into houses. Kind of the core idea of what I'm trying to do here is, is just change the nature of how we look at homelessness in general as something like, oh, this can end in our lifetime. This is something we can not have to deal with. We can house everybody in the city and create a city for um, c- kindness and compassion, and empathy, where you know it just doesn't exist anymore here.
0: Well, activists and unsheltered residents, and I think just Salt Lakers in general, have been critical of the camp abatements that happen here, which is when the Salt Lake County Health Department and Salt Lake City partner to clean up, tear down camps for health and safety reasons. They are terrible to witness. You have said that you want to make abatements illegal, this is technically a function of the Salt Lake County Health Department. So I'm curious how would you would work with the county to forge a better way.
1: Well, it is a function of the health department, you know, but it's also involving city tax dollars when a lot of these officers are being paid overtime. So it's not just the health department, it's not just the county, the city is involved with this too. I think the abatements are, um, you know, crimes against humanity. I think they're very cruel. And in my plan, you know, with the with the emergency situation, the next step is um, creating a uh, Um, sanctioned camping areas. And again, I hate that word camping. I think it's disgusting to use that too. These people aren't camping. Camping is a recreational activity. These people are surviving on the streets. They have nowhere else to go. So we need these sanctioned areas though, where people can just stay and belong, where these abatements, you know, just won't happen. I also said I would ban homeless architecture from the city, which is Again, really disgusting and having, um, you know, more public bathrooms and things like this.
0: I want to clarify the meaning of homeless architecture for people who yeah, don't yeah. know. You're referring to hostile architecture, so like replacing grass with rocks, right. designing park benches to so that someone can't lay across it. Is that... That's what you mean. Okay. Right. Yeah.
1: That also like, you know, places you try to go, this, this affects, you know, people that are housed as well. You try to go to the store, the gas station, like sometimes you can't use restrooms. They just don't have any bathrooms anymore. Like you have to go in and find the lock and stuff. So it like ties into a lot of these situations. But, um, you know, I think that's, a, it just shows a form of respect of getting rid of this, this kind of architecture that attacks them in ways that are just. Not really helpful.
0: I want to linger a little bit on the idea of making abatements illegal because I think for the average Salt Laker, you know, they're like, oh, okay, interesting idea. We hate witnessing abatements, we hate that they happen. But how is the mayor of Salt Lake City, would you make them illegal?
1: Well, basically, with the sanctioned camping, you know, you just don't need them. This whole argument, like, oh, we have to go and just destroy this entire campment to clean it up, is just ridiculous. Instead of just cleaning it, you know, why do we have to throw away tents and sleeping bags instead of washing them in washers and dryers? It just doesn't make any sense, you know. So having that like that foundation of like this is this is not how we treat homeless people, but it's important to acknowledge too that. Um, these abatements aren't just attacking unsheltered people. They attack our community too. There's so many mutual aid organizations giving out blankets, tents, sleeping bags, over and over and over, like hundreds and thousands of dollars. They just get, they donate and then instantly gets thrown away. It's just like, this is just a waste of money. It's cruel. Um, It just needs to not happen anymore.
0: salt lake city what if this is the year you host easter dinner or brunch Harmons makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch just heat and serve baby lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends they don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven and if you're not the host but need something to bring here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now, there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's hot cross buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. You've called the shelter model a complete failure, and you've proposed abandoning it altogether, though the city doesn't run the shelters, service providers do. So what alternatives are you suggesting?
1: Yeah, and obviously, you know, this is a bigger conversation with, um, you know, the county, the state, federal government of looking at homelessness down the road. Um, But yeah, I think the shelter models are just a a complete failure. Um, A lot of people don't like going to the shelters for a reason. And I think we need to listen to our unsheltered community and look at those reasons. Why do these people not want to go to shelter? Is it because they hate housing or is other stuff going on that, uh, you know, is, is attacking and hurting them in these shelters? I actually think we should turn all the shelters into, long-term housing. Um, I think, you know, we need to stop looking at the middleman here of the shelters and we just need to go directly to housing. That's what these people need. They just need to go right into housing.
0: How logistically do you convert shelters that are currently accommodating, you know, say 300, anywhere from 80 to 300 people a night to converting them to long-term housing almost instantly? Because it feels like, Like man on the street, what we hear people complaining about the most with regards to homelessness in Salt Lake City is that there aren't enough beds. It's not that they necessarily want to see the system upended.
1: I think it's a longer conversation. I think uh, turning the shelters into long-term housing is actually the slowest part. Um, there's other ways we could get housing faster. You know, there's the um, this actually ties into the theater of uh, you know the Pantages Theater I was involved with with the uh, the redevelopment agency. It's the collection of our property, public tax property, public resources. A lot of that—it's uh, like millions of dollars and uh, dozens and of dozens of acres of, of property that could be converted into housing. And um, I think this, the city needs to push back on the state um, in terms of public housing, rent control, things like that—to actually, you know, give more power back to the city so we can, you know, do what's necessary to solve these problems. So,
0: well, you've acknowledged that this is perhaps your most ambitious idea, but that is to house everyone within the first year of your term. Now, we don't have a lot of good data on homelessness in the city because the point in time count is conducted as like a county matter. So we have a lot of countywide data. But I did check the road home, which is a service provider that runs a number of shelters. And they said that they sheltered 1,018 people just on the night of Wednesday, February 22nd. That's a lot of bodies. Salt Lake's rental vacancy is currently two percent. So everyone seems to agree that housing is the solution to homelessness, but there are a lot of barriers to creating housing. What policies do you propose to make this happen?
1: Yeah. so i uh, I actually have a real estate license. And I'm a business owner. so i'm I'm kind of like a, a paradoxal candidate where, <laughs> I'm like an activist. Been homeless, but I've also, you know, done these other things as well. I I have problems with the vacancy numbers. I don't, you know, believe in those. And again, my my kind of core um, idea here is that we have the resources uh, and all the uh, tools we need to end homelessness now. It, just the money's not going to the right things, and um, you know. How do we spend $60 million on three shelters that are full the first night? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. I think there's ways to spend money more effectively. And again, you know, a thousand people, it might seem like a lot, but there's a lot of these apartment complexes going up right now, 250 units in one of them, you know? So there's, it's not like we need a lot of housing. You know, I mentioned Houston earlier, um, was able to uh, house 25,000 people in the last like 10 years or so. We don't have 25,000 homeless people. Are the, the, the issue is a lot smaller here. I think there's a lot of effective ways where we could um, spend money more um, smart and get people into housing a lot quicker and kind of, and again, bypass the shelter model. Like the shelter model, one of the reasons I think it's important to abandon that model is it's sucking up a lot of money and it's not even a long-term solution. It's a place where, you know, we, don't, we need to stop looking at, oh, we need beds for these people versus these people need a house. They need an apartment. They need a, a stability so they can get back on their feet and and get the help they need. So I think we just really need to look at this whole uh, issue in a completely different way.
0: Can I ask you to clarify on the vacancy rate because that two percent number is from the Gardner, the Kemsy Gardner Institute. Sure. How do you perceive vacancy rates in Salt Lake?
1: You know, it's I think it's hard to tell. I um. I've looked at a lot of apartment complexes that are 50% vacant. Some of these luxury housing—I don't know what the exact number would be, but I think it's a lot higher than 2%. I don't think that's accurate from my experiences in real estate and then just looking around on, you know, these websites and things, and um, just being involved in the industry. So I think we need new data. I would like to see new studies done. I'd like to see deeper um, impact studies into vacancy and stuff like that. But again, too, um, there's a lot of places to build. There's a lot of housing that's just sitting there. Again, the RDA are a collection of public property. Is a lot of it is vacant. The city has power to go buy property. They do this all the time. I think we could build, you know, enough housing very quickly to get people directly into it. So
0: And that's the Redevelopment Agency of which the Salt Lake City Mayor is the executive
1: director. Right. Yeah, and then, you know, I I'm excited about this tiny home situation with the um the other side? Other side. Yeah. So
0: you like the tiny homes. You're into the tiny home plan.
1: I, I love tiny homes. You know, again, I've been in real estate, so I love, you know, new ideas. One of the other cool um, ideas is uh, this happens a lot in outside of Salt Lake. It happened in Logan when I lived there. I had friends that were part of these groups where they go build each other's houses and, um, you know, and and kind of have like sweat equity there. So I think that's an option for people that, you know, unsheltered that do have the means to to work. I think that would be really fantastic. That idea was actually suggested to me from unsheltered people that like, I would love to build my own little tiny house. I'm like, that's awesome. My uh, issues with the um, other side academy is that just some of the costs seem like some of these tiny homes are pretty expensive. And then I just have concerns about, you know, how they manage and run, run that. And
0: well, and I think it's really interesting you bring that up because, I mean, that is an example to me of like a fairly idealistic scenario that has been in the works now for what three years? It feels like every year we get a new estimated completion date. Exactly. The state has been reticent to fund it. Even some of the members of the homelessness sort of coalition are a little bit reticent about it. And I think it really elucidates the bureaucratic nightmare of a lot of these issues and how much red tape there is around these solutions. And so, you know, I can't imagine we haven't had mayors before that have been like, I would love to see everyone in this city housed. What kind of policies would you offer that could circumnavigate some of that red tape? Because it's
1: very enduring. That, I think that ties back to the emergency situation and the importance of like, hey, this is a problem we need to solve right now. We're not going to wait three years for this. You know, people are dying on the streets. I mean, there's a lot of sad situations of people uh, getting their their toes amputated right now due to frostbite. I think a, a 150, 160 people died last year uh, due to homelessness. These are completely avoidable, you know, but I think I would try to do as much as I can within the city. You know, I try to work with the county and state and, and the federal government, but um, I think there's a lot we can do on our own within the city that isn't being done, you know, kind of not having to rely on other people. Salt Lake, the capital city of Utah, we have a lot of resources and, and uh, power and tools and community that we can all unite. You know, I, I mentioned the community groups earlier. They do such amazing work out here every day, giving food, giving blankets, really tireless work, thankless work. It's incredible that like the the city hasn't you know united all these groups together into one massive coalition where like where we, the, all the powers could be used together. So I think a lot of things are ineffective right now. I just don't see things happening in the city that need to happen. It's almost the complete opposite of what these abatements are doing and what some of the current housing policy is.
0: My last question for you refers to something that you yourself brought up, which is this idea that Salt Lake City alone cannot solve homelessness, right? This issue requires a fairly broad coalition, not just of service providers, but city, county, state, you even mentioned the feds. And when it comes to issues that you've shown leadership on in the past, you have been a bit of a controversial figure (laughs) in the news. There was a local developer that filed a stalking injunction against you. I think for some voters, they might be reticent about what it would look like for you to build a coalition of people who don't see eye to eye with you. So, I'd like to ask how you think you could bring all these people to the table around homelessness.
1: Yeah. So, real quick uh, on the stalking injunction, it's a, like a long story, but that was actually a slap suit uh, filed against me. I never stalked anyone. That was a, an attempt to silence me for speaking out on the the Pantages deal. It's an ongoing issue. You know, there's a, a upcoming litigation. I'm can't really speak on, but. Again, that was a slap suit. I'm very happy to work with a lot of people. You know, it's funny uh, you mentioned that the theater, um, I tried to meet with the, the developer that filed the stalking injunction against me to work with them. So I always try to work with everyone. And then again, too, it's like, you know, um, it's not about me. I'm just, you know, kind of a tool. I'm just a a voice for the community. So it's really all coming from the unsheltered. I'm not leading this fight right now. I'm just trying to amplify the voices of the people that are. I don't know if I quite agree with that assessment, but um, I think the city can do a lot. I think we could... Um, you know, it might not be 100, but I think we can get 80, 90 percent people housed by ourselves, and then I'll work with the the rest of the uh, um, the county, the state, and the feds to to support that. You know, but I think there's a, a fine line between being able to like work with everyone, but then when pe- when things are are working against the community, to stand up and and voice that and not back down and, and fight for the community and support the community. And I think that's what I've done this entire time, the last several years as a community organizer. Uh, with the theater, with homelessness right now, with with the campaign. Just to reiterate, you know, I would um, work with everyone up to the point I can't, and then I would always defend the community and fight for the community no matter what.
0: Mayoral candidate Michael Valentine, thank you for your time.
1: Yeah, thanks, Allie. Appreciate it.
0: It is possible this year's mayoral election will be conducted with ranked choice voting, which means instead of having a primary to narrow the ballot down to two candidates, we would get one ballot and rank all the candidates from our first to last preference. The final decision rests with the Salt Lake City Council. In January, they took an informal vote in favor of ranked choice voting, but they're waiting until the end of the legislative session to take a formal vote, which, by the way, legislative session ends this Friday. Thank God. I will let you know what the council decides either way. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We'll be back tomorrow morning with mayoral candidate Rocky Anderson on homelessness. And then on Thursday, you'll hear from current mayor Aaron Mendenhall on the same issue. So often in election cycles, we get sound bites across multiple issues. But I think it's good to wade deeper into these important topics. I hope you find these discussions valuable. And if you do, will you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? All right.
1: See you tomorrow.